0: Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, Hypor Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and Pigequipment.com, brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's
1: episode. Today we're joined by Nat Stas to talk about wean to finish efficiencies and the often overlooked areas. How are you doing today, Nat? Good, how are you, Matthew? Really good. I uh, like this topic. I like talking about efficiencies and survivability and some of the things we might get into today uh, before we get into the topic, I'd love it if you could give us a background of yourself and how you got involved in the pork industry. Uh, why are you working with pigs?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate the uh invitation to come here and talk with you today and appreciate the questions. So uh I'll somewhat make it brief, but I grew up in western Pennsylvania, you know, I would say more or less on a hobby farm. Uh father's a mixed animal practice veterinarian and I didn't even I didn't I had no idea what the commercial pig industry even was. <laughs> um grew up with some show pigs a little bit here and there, but had a great advisor uh at Penn State. That's where I did my undergrad and and he kind of introduced me to, um, some other alternatives and careers. I, I, I honestly went to school thinking I didn't want to be a veterinarian, but didn't know what other options were out there. Um, and my brother's a veterinarian. He moved out to Iowa for a period of time to do some PERS research. And so he, he got me in touch with some, some integrators out there and some larger production systems. So after graduation, I moved to Illinois, um, Thought it was going to be a pretty temporary thing to to get my foot foot in the door and figure out my life a little bit, and ended up staying about five years. Uh, went went to University of Illinois and got a master's degree with Dr. Mike Ellis, um, and just really fell in love with kind of genetics and, and reproduction. So I knew once once I got out of grad school that I wanted to more more than likely work with producers and work with a genetics company. So I, I eventually found my way to PIC and. Been a couple years in Tennessee, and, and now I'm back around home in western Pennsylvania, but spend quite a bit of time on the road uh, working with, in farm, working with producers mostly. So, very roundabout way, but I'm happy I found the pork industry for sure.
1: Do you remember what that was like your first week? Getting into the real commercial stuff and uh, figuring out, was it, So was it kind of, yeah, what was that like?
2: Yeah, so I did. I did an internship with Country View Family Farms in Pennsylvania. So that that was my first exposure. But you know, in an internship, you kind of get you learn a little bit about a lot of areas, oftentimes. And so I wasn't sure what even what the industry really meant or what opportunities there even was, just because you spent such a short period of time in a lot of areas. But my first job, real job out of the out in the industry, was with the Mashoffs as a genetic supervisor in, in, uh, their Bible system at what, what at the time would have been their maternal nucleus. So I'm pretty sure, um, I walked across the stage at graduation and then I was tagging pigs about five days later. Um, they definitely needed help and they, they were making pure matings at that time. So (laughs) just got thrown to the wolves, but you know, I really enjoyed, um, it was kind of beyond production a little bit. You know, I enjoyed like the insight into selecting sires and making pure matings and the additional work that went along with being on a maternal nucleus um, above and beyond that. But I also, what I really appreciate about the industry is there's so many different backgrounds, people with little to no experience, people that have grew up in it their entire lives and, and a whole preflable of, education and educational backgrounds. Um, and so, you know, you really can, if you, you know, I had an advisor in in undergrad that told me if you're willing to show up and work every day, you're going to, you're going to easily find a job and be successful at what you want to do. And so I think that's, that really speaks true to the pork industry. If you're willing to show up, learn and, and work hard every day, you disguise the limit.
1: Absolutely. We see you all over the place. So uh, I wouldn't doubt it if that's, that's what you've taken to heart. And I uh, want to ask you some questions to kind of get down into a little bit more. Who, who are you as a person for people listening? And these are kind of fun. So first off, what do you do for fun?
2: So most anything outdoors, you know, I would say two big things would be depends on the time of year, but uh, definitely a big hunter. And then this time of year, I'm a big uh, college wrestling fan. So spend a lot of time kind of following college wrestling. And luckily, I'm a Penn State fan. So it's been a last good decade. Uh, Spencer Lee. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He grew up. Spencer grew up about 30 minutes from me. He's quite a bit younger, but my brother, younger brother wrestled with him, actually.
1: That's crazy, man. If he gets if he gets four national championships, that'll yeah. just be crazy. Yep. <clears throat> for those who aren't listening, it's not Penn State. That's Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think we know the answer to this one. But what D one college do you root for?
2: Yeah, it'd be. I mean, it'd be Penn State. You know i I gave Illinois a chance, but you know during my time there, um, they weren't very good at sports. That's so just a was, hard one. Yeah, it was a tough, tough time to try to become a fan.
1: Just feel like when we look at college sports, there's you ha- you have that brand and that fan base. And it doesn't it just doesn't feel as strong at Illinois. Like, and there's great fans at Illinois and it's a great university. But when you think about Penn State, Iowa, um, this uh, Mi- Minnesota has a really good one. It's just there's there just seems to always be something missing with Illinois t- for
2: me. But, yeah uh, yeah I don't know how to explain it. i mean Penn state is is a college town, right, so that helps yeah. right i mean if you're if you live in and around state college, you probably are associated with the university in some way, so That's a good point um that that definitely helps What's your go to karaoke song Oh man, I have no idea. Have so, you ever seen karaoke? Yeah, but it's been a really long <laughs> time, and I wouldn't recommend hearing listening <laughs> or or going out of your way to hear me um remember what it was? It would probably be something rock, rock and roll from the 90s. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know, some Green Day or some alternative or something like that. I don't know. That's putting me on the spot.
1: <laughs> Do you, uh, you have a favorite actor or one actor that you just can't stand?
2: Um, not really, to be honest. I mean, it, it kind of I don't want to sound like uh, I'm sheltered or. I'm off the grid necessarily, but I don't watch watch a lot of television outside of sports. And you know, I'm kind of work for fun type of person.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. And then, what's your go to light beer?
2: Go to light beer would probably be Yingling Light. So, not oh, sure. Light. Yingling Light.
1: Isn't there so, one called Flight though? That's yeah. There is light?
2: A, there is a Flight that's a little bit lighter, but okay. You no, know, it's I don't know how far west it's gone and I think it's, you can get it in Indiana maybe, but I don't know if it goes beyond that. So it's a, I guess it's a family owned Pennsylvania beer. Basically. Yeah,
1: no, it hasn't gone very far. Like, so when I'm in Ohio, I try to grab some Yangling for some people and myself and uh, I've, I've tried Yangling flight and I really like that, but I've never tried Yangling light. So maybe I'd got to give that one a shot.
2: Yeah. They're, I mean, they're pretty similar. I would say, once you get in the light beers, they don't yeah. vary too much. <laughs> but.
1: So let's jump into the topic today. When we look at what might be being overlooked, how should efficiency be
2: looked at in a production system? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a, that's a challenging question to open up with. So I think, you know, initially when we talk about, or when we just think about efficiencies, immediately we go to things like feed efficiency, right? I mean, feed is, is the largest cost to the production system, um, and it's absolutely irrelevant to talk about feed efficiency. So, you know, as as I kind of opened up my presentation at Banff within this topic, I talked about the common areas and, and how it relates to feed efficiency. But I think looking beyond that, um, you know, we got to look at things like labor efficiency is a big one, right? Nowadays. And and I think you can appreciate that with the product that you've produced and and how it's helped the industry is, you know, how do we how do we Maximize our labor, right? How do we how do we automate certain tasks that are able to be automated? How do we make tasks easier on on labor? Um, but then, how do we make sure those hours that they're spending in the farm that it's the most efficient hours? So you know, taking care of more pigs, just making the process more efficient overall from an automated perspective. And then the other thing beyond that is just I don't know if it falls into the efficiency category but things like throughput and how we utilize our space i think that's some that's areas we don't talk about because a lot of times we're fixed time in marketing and we got fixed space it's not like we could just add a barn and then get rid of that barn if we don't need it we we kind of contract those barns out long term and so um how do we utilize our space from an efficiency perspective i think um That Those are areas that we need to discuss further, you know, things like market variation or marketing strategies and how we how we really get throughput through our barns. I think we need to look beyond the feed efficiency area, not that that's not important and the most relevant part of it, but there's other efficiency categories that we should talk about.
1: Yeah, like when we look at labor in itself, farm efficiency requires labor. Technology and innovation has come in, but. When we're talking wean to finish here, consumers pretty adamant with national pork board research that they want human to pig interaction. Yeah. And so what are your thoughts on the idea of we can bring in technology to grow finish and maybe someday get to a place where we don't have to walk barns. I, I, I have a hard time seeing that as a reality. Yeah. but I'm curious what you think, and and if it is, what is that going to look like? And if you don't think it is, why? Yeah,
2: yeah. So, you know, I think I, I've wrestled with this idea and various things, just advancing advancements in the pork industry. You know, we as a what I would consider a scientist or like a production scientist, it's up to us to develop these ideas, but it's it's ultimately the consumer the the and retailer, whoever our customer is, to decide if they're right or wrong to utilize. Um, and and that's a pretty generic statement to, that can yeah. go all, all different directions. But with that said, I, I think there absolutely still needs to be a human impact or a human interaction because, I mean, we're working with live animals, right? It's not going to be like assembly line just going down the conveyor belt. But I think we can help, we can spread our intelligence or or education or our experience to the masses better uh, with the use of technology. So things like cameras in the barn where I can sit here at my desk in Western Pennsylvania and I can I could see barns all around the world if there's a camera that that is able to be ac- accessible that way. Um, you know, I think things like the controller's that are able to come out and have remote connectivity where I can log in and see environmental conditions and probes and measurements like that. I don't think all that replaces, 100% replaces the human interaction with the pig or the human interaction with the human, the contract grower Mm -hmm. out there or the producer or customer out there. But with the proper relationship and trust build, I think we can leverage those technologies to just get experience and learn from each other that way. That's how I think we need to utilize it. And then the last thing I'll just mention, and I don't know fully where this goes, but I mean, being a pig farmer is not, not an easy job. I mean, there's days you're sweating, you're cussing, you're, you're not having a fun time. And uh, how do we minimize those? Or how do we lessen that physical labor impact? To, get rid of the bad days. Yep, make it easier just on our personnel. That's what I think we need to really focus on.
1: Yeah, especially uh, during turns, right? I mean, when you're unloading barns, trying to wash them before you get the next load, like, it can be stressful. Uh, but I think to build on what you're saying, labor right now is a challenge, and so a lot of the innovation tends to gear towards, well, we're gonna we're gonna figure out how to do it without people because we can't get people. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like. When we get into these really good conversations, the the real desire is how do we enhance our people's ability to do what they do, and just be more efficient, right? Not how do we make them work harder and faster and get more done in a small time frame, but it's how do we improve not only the quality of life for the pig by improving care, but also the quality of life of the employees by just reducing stress and frustration and just allowing them to know. Where is the most? What is the most efficient use of my time, as opposed to just be more efficient? Yeah, is that is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm gonna, uh, I may mention it a couple of different times throughout this, and I'm gonna put a, a minor plug into our road shows coming up. You know, to kind of sign up for them. But talking about these these we need to finish efficiencies, we're gonna continue down this path of talking about it as PIC as a company within our road shows, but one area within that is what are the highest impact areas that have an effect on this? And what are the controllables? Because I think Mm. people get frustrated too with, you know, being told, well, this needs done or this has a high, high impact area, but they don't have control over that. Right. I think we need to get back to the basics and just simplify the job at at each level. Right. What are, what are the three priorities you're going into your farm every day, trying to get done. Right. And, what and how big of an impact are those areas going to have and where can we automate, you know, lesser impactful areas or, or other areas like that. But I agree. I mean, any, anything to make the job more enjoyable. I mean, there's been, and I'm not engaged with all of it, but you know, there's been different things. I think there was a presentation at Banff about technology and then there was an award given about some, I'll describe it as some type of pig shoot for vaccination.
1: Yeah. From high life.
2: Yeah. From high life. So I mean, man, I've picked up a lot of pigs in my life and and kind of broke my back trying to vaccinate them, you know, either at weaning or or a couple of weeks into the nursery. That sounds like a, a great technology to utilize just to make the job a little more enjoyable.
1: Yeah, that was actually one of the sessions I missed. And it frustrates me because I'm seeing all this stuff on LinkedIn with Temple Grandin endorsing this shoot. Yep. And I'm like super frustrated that I can't I can't find what it actually looks like i like, I actually missed the one time that I could have. So yeah, I think for people in the industry, there's probably going to be more and more information coming around this year around this, uh, this new approach that high life has taken. And it's got temple excited, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But when we, when we look at the common areas discussed in relation to, uh, wean to feed or wean to finish efficiencies,
2: what are those common areas discussed? Yeah. I mean, as I highlighted them and it, it goes a little bit beyond what I included, but yeah, you know, first and foremost, I would say you got your space categories. Um, and so, you know, your floor space, your feeder space and, and your water availability. Now, not all those are going to affect um, feed efficiency in particular, but, you know, the feeder space and the floor space absolutely will. So, you know, those are areas that I think we very well understand. I don't and we understand the the recommendations and the data behind them. I don't know if we always execute accurately or, or um, as well as we should. A big category within that is feeder management. Um, and again, I think we have a ton of supporting research and literature to understand how we need to adjust our feeders and what we re- need to target. I would question on the execution of that. How well do we actually get that done um, on a consistent basis? And then the last, and and I think, you know, I challenge the audience at Banff with it too, but uh, out-of-feed events. You know, I think we mm, have an, yeah. a, a reasonable idea how they affect the performance of the pig. Um, I don't know if we define them accurately. You know, Matt, Dr. Matt Ritter was also on our panel that we presented on, and he talked a lot about market variation. So, you know, my, my argument to out-of-feed events is, an out-of-feed event doesn't need to be 24 or 48 hours. It can be 30 minutes or an hour that reshuffles the order at, at which pigs eat at. And therefore that's going to increase variation. So if we want all our product to fit in a box and and really hit that center point of that grid that we're selling on, we need to reduce that variation. And the best way to reduce it is just let it not happen to begin with, because then mm-hmm. we don't have to select for it or manage around it as we market pigs. So I would say those are the three big common areas, you know, feed management, stocking density or space, and then, you know, out of feed events, which kind of ties into feed management as well. And
1: it's a challenge. Like it's when we look at our industry and, uh, it tries to kind of look at, okay, let's look at a manufacturing process. What does manufacturing do to find consistency? It's just so different because when, it, with any biological system, there's that bell curve, right? Like you're going to have, um, it's very hard to have equal distribution and perfect consistency and in, in just in biology in general. And so can you talk a little bit about more some of these areas that have a major impact but are overlooked and like what ones are the low hanging fruit right now for most producers?
2: Yeah, so, you know, just to comment, you know, on that piece of the biological piece real quick and the variation. I mean, yeah. We're a genetics company. I work for a genetics company. I mean, you know, variation is a, is honestly somewhat of a good thing in our, our world because it allows us to select the better progeny. If everything Fair. is the same, how do we pick the best boar in the pen that, to make the next generation, right? So variation is a real thing and it's it's never going to be zero we have to just try to manage it that way or select for it properly but
1: i I like that glass half full though because a lot of times it's talked about as like glass half empty like oh there's all this all this variation but in reality without the variation we couldn't be feeding the world like we are today
2: well that's right we couldn't do that and and honestly the there's different customers out there right i mean there's further processed goods that that can take a, a larger carcass or a larger product there's there's different niche markets out there that want a certain smaller one so i think we need to just manage around it as well but as we get into the overlooked areas i think there's a couple that i'm going to i'm going to elaborate on pretty aggressively but you know cool. first and first and, formate, first and foremost would be what i'm going to call as wean weight efficiency and i don't i don't think it's new but i think it's a new way to look at it and that would be A balance between wean age and wean weight. So I was a a born and bred sow guy. I drove PSY and that's what I believed in. And then, you know, I'll throw the sow folks under the bus a little bit, but I saw the light and came to the wean to finish side. And now I get frustrated with the sow side, right? Sending us a poor quality (laughs) pig and how do we raise this and all those arguments that go on on a daily basis. So rather than driving things like PSY or throughput at the sow farm, don't get me wrong, those things are extremely valuable and important. But how do we really benchmark ourselves on that side of the business? And I think one way to do that is wean weight efficiency. So all it is is a calculation, a build-off a reference table, essentially. Um, and we have a reference table we use, but you can do it customized with multiple years of data in your production system. But per day of age, how heavy should that pig be? So if six months ago, a 21-day-old pig weighed on average, 12 and a half pounds, we need to set ourselves a, a, you know, a stretch goal, right? Maybe in six months or a year, it should be 13 pounds. I don't know where that it necessarily caps out at, but per day of age, that pig should continually get better. And so, um, you know, instead of talking about, well, we want to ship this amount of pigs every week, or we want our PSY to go up a pig next year, let's take our efficiency with the same wean age and the same amount of pigs out the door. Let's take Let's produce a heavier pig or a better quality pig. So, you know, what we boil that down to is a percentage calculation. So based on what it should weigh, is it above 100% or is it below 100%, right? And that's what we really want to target. And we can measure that quarterly or however frequently we want. And that, that helps us on the wean to finish side as well, understanding what type of pig we're getting. Are we getting a highly productive, efficient pig? based on that number coming out of the south farm that will make our job easier? Or do we have to work a little bit harder, maybe work with our nutritionist and balance our diet or formulate our diet better? Cause we know we're getting a compromised pig. So that would be, there ahead. just
1: isn't a lot of clarity either when, when it comes to receiving a shipment from a sow farm, it's really hard to know what you're getting until it's there.
2: Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, I'm, I, I picked on the South farm a little bit, but I don't think that efficiency has to stop. I think we can create a, a nursery weight efficiency or a finishing weight efficiency. So then I can benchmark my job and say, well, I received an 85% efficient group of pigs, but I exited them out of the nursery at 95. So I did a really good job raising those pigs, right? Or maybe I went backwards and I did a terrible job raising them. And, you know, then we can troubleshoot why, right? So I think it continues on. That's, I think it's just a new way to look at how we benchmark our performance, so another, That'd be really nice to be able to look at an efficiency score like that. Yep. And it, it boils it down to one number, right? You know, not talking about, well, wean age changed a half a day. or I mean, wean age usually isn't too variable. It may be from one day to the next, depending on our wean schedule. But it's usually not too variable. Weight, on the other hand, can be highly variable for sure.
1: So... so do you think our before you jump to the next one? Do you think our production system is just wound so tight that it's it's just hard to get that kind of a change? Is it low hanging fruit from a difficulty of change, or do you think it's actually a fairly easy change
2: for producers to make? That's a challenging question. So yeah. I mean, as we've gotten larger, more integrated, and just you know, there's we've gotten siloed for sure, and and we all talk about breaking down the silos and barriers and talking with each other, but. I think we do an absolutely horrible job at it. Um, And so, you know, I think we really just need to work together at at how do we execute that? I mean, the, it's got to start at the South farm, but there's gotta be an easy process where once that truck waits, and again, some of this can be automated. I mean, Mm -hmm. once that truck waits taken, it can be immediately sent through an automated report where the, the service manager on the wean to finish side gets that and knows what type of pig they're they're going to be receiving um, it gets sent to the nutritionist i think we need to figure out the communication process to maybe automate those a little bit but streamline them as well to where it's not hey we got to pick up a phone call and call this person and that person and the next person we can with one flip of the switch five people know what's going on right
1: I think once we see more management technologies in the sow farms and in the grow, finish space, that, that middle area is either going to be, I I think it's, there's an integrated approach that allows that passing of information. I don't think we're far from something like that being automated so that you really do know, Hey, this vehicle, this truck's in transit. These are the pigs I'm getting. I'm getting this, how much they weigh, this is how old they are. This is their prior health issues. I, I think we're closer to that than people might think. But the only way we get there is if everything else becomes digitized. I think it's going to be one of the last things that actually gets
2: digitized. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, and, and at the end of the day, we have to utilize it. Um, yeah. I mean, we could set thresholds in there that alarm us, right? And make it a little more obvious that something's good or bad or whatever we set them at. But I mean, it, it, we're humans. We have to yeah. we have to execute on, on what we talk about.
1: So what are some other areas?
2: Yeah. So the next, you know, I'll kind of touch on would be feed budget. And and I think some of the technology coming, coming out or available is going to help us with this. So, you know, we all work with nutritional suppliers. They all formulate great diets and, and we, we pay them to do so. But, you know, what I would question is how well do we execute on that budget? And historically it's been, you know, feed tickets delivered to mailboxes and, outside the bin and they stack up for six months or six years. And, you know, we don't really ever know how far ahead or behind pigs are based on their budget or, you know, we only check it occasionally. So I think things like, you know, bin monitors and flow flow sensors and different things help us with how much pigs are actually eating. But I think this is something we need to look towards doing in real time. We need to work with the nutritionist to understand what the impact is in production. Like, if they're two days behind or six days behind on their feed budget, you know, I think we need to understand the economical impact of that. But as management people, we also need to identify when they're ahead or behind budget and then troubleshoot that. Um, you know, why are they behind budget? Did feed not get delivered? Therefore created an out of feed event. Was there a, a bug that went through the barn and they slowed down their eating? Um, you know, what are some of the cases? Are we just, Are pigs unable to consume that amount of feed in that amount of time. And we need to reformulate our budget or reformulate our diet or adjust our budget accordingly. You know, I think there's a lot to learn in that area and, you know, us on the management side have to actively work with our nutrition team to, to understand that. But again, with the advancements of technologies, we have the ability to do it. We're, We're starting to get the ability to do it in real time and that, that we can leverage that to our benefit absolutely
1: the uh so you kind of hit on this but do we need to rethink not only production efficiency but also how it's monitored and measured like how we prioritize tasks to improve it does that get yeah. back to that efficiency thing
2: yeah i mean i think you know it yeah it gets back to you know what is going to have the biggest impact and what what is going to what are we able to have control over i think that's what it really boils down to right you know not only and and i think it's got to go at every level right the person walking the pens and sorting the pigs and adjusting the feeders has to know how they prioritize their tasks to have the biggest impact and then you know what can we automate and take off of their hands to have the biggest impact like the feed budgeting aspect of it that can probably do be done at a, a computer desk somewhere, you know, just monitoring farms and and those sensors to see if they're ahead or behind. And then if they're behind, maybe it takes some personnel to follow up and troubleshoot some of that. But I think the monitoring a lot of that can be done remotely realistically. So
1: Yeah, and if you remotely identify a big enough issue, like I mean,
2: those things probably pay for themselves pretty quick. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I don't think, you know, I talked about out of feed events before, but Man, I don't think we have any idea what, it, what stuff like that feed budget and out-of-feed events cost our industry. Um, I think they happen on a small scale a lot every single day, and they add up quickly. Yeah, because
1: I don't think we have a good idea of the frequency. And so then it's even hard to design a trial to understand what is the common or what is the status quo. Because if we don't know the frequency of when it's happening or how how long the duration was... It's, it's really hard to, to put together an actual study to figure out
2: the cost of it. Right. Right. Exactly.
1: So why do you think some of that isn't taking place? Is that just not making the time to have those conversations? You think people are just distracted with other things going on and aren't slowing down to take the time? Or why do you think some of these things that we should be prioritizing are just kind of falling to the wayside at times? I'm not going to go crazy and say all the time, just but at times.
2: Yeah, I mean I think in, within some of those categories um it, it before it was probably difficult um or it was more difficult to know you know to quantify or know when there was a feed outage event or or to manage around some of that stuff um and so it's kind of kind of gone all by the the back burner uh but you know we're it seems like more and more we're just kind of putting out fires right we're putting out the yeah. next big challenge and we're so busy with just you know, task by task or, or go into the next chat, next problem that we don't get to stop and just think about, you know, I uh, I work with Country View still quite a bit to this day. And uh, one of my good friends that, you know, we catch up frequently, you know, that's worked for them for quite a while, talked about just sitting on a feed bucket or sitting on a five gallon bucket in the middle of the barn. I mean, we don't have time to do that anymore, unfortunately, or... Um, you know, those conversations don't get to happen because we're just go, go, go all the time. So yeah, you can't work
1: on the role. You're so you're stuck. You're stuck working in the role because of constraints, fires that you can't yeah. really just sit back, take a deep breath and go, you know what? Today, I'm going to help the industry and help my help this system by thinking about how we can make things better. It's yep. I mean, the only time you might get that is power washing and uh
2: <laughs> and uh it's just not frequent enough. Yeah, you you brought up the. uh favorite actor thing earlier, but I'm a typical millennial. So I watch a whole pile of YouTube, but, uh, there's a guy on there that talks about organization. And he says, he talks about, you can't afford not to get organized. Right. And he's talking about like his garage or tools, things like that. People always talk about, well, how much, if I, I spend hours making my tool cart perfectly organized, then I just wasted hours. Well, the efficiency you build on the back end of that is incredible, right? Because you know right where to go to get that tool now instead of searching for 45 minutes. Or
1: buying an extra one because you're like, I can't find it. Now I just bought an extra one. Now I've got three of the exact same thing in the garage and you would have taken time to drive to the store to buy it. Not all. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that one. That's cool.
2: So, you know, I think we need to think about that a little bit. Can we can we afford not to sit on that five gallon bucket and just just observe some of these challenges? Because I think if we do that, we're going to learn a heck of a lot that's going to push us even even further forward.
1: Yeah, not just at the management level; at every level. Yep. Can we afford to not sit on on the figurative five gallon bucket? Yep. I mean, anybody in any role needs to be sitting down and thinking through how do I work on my role as opposed yep. to be to come to be in it. Yep. So, do you have any closing thoughts to all this? This has been really awesome, and I got one last question for you. But uh, curious if you have anything else you'd like to add.
2: Well, I did want to just touch on one more, and and I think it's again a, a way to rethink things a little bit. And I know there's been a lot of discussion or work in the last few years on it, but that would be mortality. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I just I we understand the bulk of mortality; it's increasing. We understand what our percentage is. I think we do a horrible job understanding what it is from one week to the next or when it happens. I think that's step one and then why it does. So it's a challenge to the industry. I know a lot of people are talking about and chasing it, but you know, we hired a, a guy by the name of Will Lopez and he's helped us understand it a lot better and just understanding our, not our total mortality, but let's understand our mortality distribution. How many pigs are dying week one or week three or 10? And then we can start, start to address it further. So. You know, I think a lot of my BAMF pre- presentation was just around that, was like yeah. rethinking how we look at stuff and where can we dive deeper into and and where have we done a good job at. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the the ultimate take home with all of this is is understand what the highest impact areas are in your system. And a lot of those are going to include the common areas, but there's going to be some overlooked areas in that that I talked about in there as well. And then what do you have control over, Right what does what does the the man or woman at the slat level have control over? what are they trying to get done on a daily basis? What does that service manager have control over that visits once a week or once every other week? You know what does the production manager that's overseeing multiple sites have control over? I think we need to boil it, it down to that and then all all uh, make those decisions on on what we can impact
1: absolutely. distill it down to the the bare bones and figure out what you learn. Yep. Well, I appreciate you having a, having you as a guest on the Popular Pig Podcast. Last question I like to ask is uh, if you have a gold nugget, a bit of uh,
2: life wisdom that you'd like to share with listeners. Yeah. So you know, I I, I kind of started the the presentation, uh, you know, with what I wanted to somewhat end it in because I knew you were going to ask a question around that, but. Um, you know, Doctor Mike Ellis at at, university, or at Penn State University was my advisor while I was there, and like I said, when I graduated, he pretty well sat me down and said, you know, just make sure you show up every day, work hard, and and essentially the sky's the limit. And I think you know we can again learn a lot from that if we just show up every day, work hard. Um, you know, a lot of people say people don't show up to work to do a bad job, but I think they get frustrated in their job. So we just need to to help. Folks understand that, um, you know. And then Ellis was always really good at, it kind of boiling things down from an academic and objective perspective. But you know, there's no excuses. You know, it's yeah. just uh, there's no excuses. There's only solutions, right? Or we need to identify those solutions. So let's let's identify problems and talk about solutions. Let's completely ignore the excuse part of that conversation because we spend a lot of time on excuses rather than the solutions
1: yeah excuses blaming or shaming like oh what what's the reason whose fault is it and it's just like okay we know it's a problem
2: yep solve it yep exactly
1: well that's awesome well thank you again for being a guest on the popular pig podcast uh love to have you anytime and uh, hope everything goes well as you move forward and helping producers through all these things
2: yeah sounds good thanks Matthew appreciate the
0: invite.